After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galilean welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at a feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Canaan in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at a point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed, believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked, him, asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he, he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. May God reveal light and life through his world by his spirit so that we may believe and have eternal life. You may be seated. Arguably, the greatest challenge or struggle that anyone has with embracing Christianity is the perceived absence of God. The perceived absence of God. It's a struggle that goes back all the way to that moment when the gates of the Garden of Eden closed behind Adam and Eve. Because whether we're aware of it or not, we each have a strong desire to see God, to behold our Maker's face, particularly during times of suffering, uh, during times of anxiety. We want to see God. We want to physically see God. We want to see Him coming to our aid, and our inability to do so frustrates us. If we can't see Him, well, then maybe He can't see us. And if he can't see us, well, then how would we know that he's going to be able to be moved to action on our behalf when we cry out to him? And so that frustration, that emotional turmoil that draws, is drawn out of us when we experience this is, is playing out for us in the book of Psalms. We hear cries very similar to this. In Psalm 22, for example, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? But it wasn't until fairly recently in human history that that God's perceived absence was considered evidence of his non-existence. The struggle before was that we assumed that God was hiding his face from us, not that he wasn't truly there. Why is that? What is the shift that has happened between then and now. A Christian author named Joseph Minnick recently wrote a book arguing 
that it has to do with the way that our technology has advanced to the point that we feel like we don't need God anymore. Since around the 1860s, we, for the most part in, in human history, have been heavily dependent upon an unseen realm just to help us through life. We knew, we were very, very aware that we needed protection pretty much constantly in order to survive. Humanity was much more vulnerable almost in every way than we are today. Just a couple of ways. The first is from our constant need for daily bread, always needing to be able to provide food for ourselves daily, or even just the battle against disease. These are things that were serious dangers to humanity in the past, and so it was very common to seek divine intervention through prayer, to want to see God moving on our behalf. But as our technology is improving, uh, we've been able more and more to be able to protect ourselves. For example, if you need food, we've got gigantic production farms and an amazing transportation system. And so if you want a tomato, you can go down to the store and find three different varieties in the dead of winter. And they just keep reappearing. You come back and there's fresh tomatoes, almost as if it's magic. Or medicine. You know, our, our advancements in, in medicine have been almost miraculous, which makes us much less vulnerable to disease than humanity has been in the past. And so our advancement in technology has enabled us to be able to manipulate the world in ways that make it seem, make it appear like we've got everything under control, that we don't need God, so we're less likely to feel the need for his divine intervention. We don't sense God's absence because we're under the impression that we don't even need his presence. We got this. But inevitably, there will come an event for each of us that our technology great though it may be, cannot fix. Facing mortality reignites our desire to see the unseen realm. And that's why it's said that there are no atheists in foxholes. But this isn't just a problem for atheists. Uh, Christians, those who have been born again from above by the Holy Spirit, want to see evidence of the spiritual realm too. How do we know that we've been forgiven? How do we know that our hope of eternity with God is a sure thing if we can't see it? Seeing is believing, right? Well, no, not exactly. This morning in our text, what we're going to see actually is hearing is believing, not seeing. And so we're going to walk through this portion of John's gospel in three sections. First is this. Jesus is not trying to attract sign seekers, verses 43 to 45. Second, belief in Jesus is not a blind leap of faith, from 46 to 50. And then third, our faith is strengthened by witnessing Jesus' effect on others. That's the plan. Let's pray and ask for God's help as we dig in. Father, would you please protect us uh, from our delusions of self-protection? Uh, 
keep us from uh, the, the illusion that we do not need you, that we are not dependent upon you every hour. I pray specifically and particularly for those here this morning who might feel like they're at the end of their rope and need a bit of hope. Would you, by your word and your spirit, give that to them today for your glory and for their good? We'll pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, Jesus is not trying to attract sign seekers. We see this in verse 43 to 45, and I'll read that again back into our hearing. Starting in verse 43, after the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Uh, These verses here act as sort of like a transitional phrase or a transitional statement here. If you recall what comes just before this, Jesus and his disciples had gone to Jerusalem because they were observing the Passover feast. So they had traveled down to the capital, to Jerusalem. They were observing Passover. And then they had to travel back up to Galilee. And in order to do that, they had to pass through a certain region called Samaria. And Jesus met a woman there in that region, drawing water at the well. And he and this woman had a fascinating conversation that ended with her running and telling and questioning with other Samaritan citizens, can this be the Christ? Have I found him? Is this the one? And so the other Samaritans, upon hearing her testimony, are intrigued. And so they invite Jesus to stay. And Jesus stays in Samaria for two days teaching them. And these Samaritans, upon hearing the word from Jesus, begin to believe. They conclude that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is what it says in verse 42. And remember, there is some bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were almost like distant cousins to the Jews. The Jews were the ones who were supposed to be able to recognize and embrace the Messiah as he was coming The Samaritans, after all, had only embraced the Old Testament up to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, They didn't read anything else in the Old Testament. They would not have had such a clear picture of who the Messiah was expected to be as the Jews. And yet, here are these Samaritans receiving and believing in him in a way that his own people, the Jews, were not. That helps us understand what verse 44 means in our passage this morning. Jesus is leaving Samaria out of this enemy territory, if you will, where he's being received well, and he's heading back to where he's from, back to his territory, Galilee, where he's so far actually gotten an an ambivalent or uncertain response from people so far. And verse 45 says that they welcomed him, but only because they saw all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. It's a quick reminder of what we had already seen at the end of chapter 2 of John's gospel. There were Jews in Judea who were attracted to Jesus because of the wonder of the miracles of the signs that he was displaying. But they had no real interest in him as the Messiah. John chapter 2 verses 23 to 25 says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. When they saw the signs that he was doing, 
But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So, some of these Galileans, where Jesus is at now, in Cana, had also traveled up to Jerusalem for Passover, and so they saw the feast, they saw some of the miraculous things that Jesus was doing there, and they were, they were attracted. They saw the spectacle, and they wanted to see more. They knew what he was capable of, and so, great, he's coming into town, we're pretty stoked, he's going to come back and do some more signs, some more miracles. But Jesus isn't particularly excited about these crowds who are coming to him, merely for signs and merely for wonders. In fact, if you look down in your passage, verse 48, you see that Jesus says there, unless you all, that is plural, unless you all, he's talking to the whole crowd who have gathered around, all of the Galileans around him, unless you all see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. And so he's rebuking these people who have been gathering around him. They're coming to him, but they're chasing after him like he's some sort of street magician. He's like, you guys are not, you guys are not getting it. You're coming to me for the wrong things. Jesus is not seeking attention from those who are seeking after signs, chasing miracles. In fact, it's almost as if Jesus is trying to shake those folks loose from following him. There's a warning for here us as well. I don't know who originally said this first, but it is a well-worn maxim now for good reason. What you win people with is what you win people to. What you win people with is what you win people to. Uh, in other words, the means that you use to attract someone to the gospel sets an expectation for what is being offered in the gospel. So if a church, a ministry is drawing people in with the promise of being able to see miraculous healings, of witnessing Shekinah glory, well, then they might be inviting people unintentionally, though it may be, into a shallow faith, a thin faith in Jesus that only pursues him as far as a spiritual high will take them. A reminder for us that we must lead with the person and work of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what we must be seeking. And if we're going to talk about miracles, can we prioritize the miracle of regeneration, that supernatural act of God in which he brings us to life so that we might be able to recognize who he is and embrace him in faith? That is everyone's most basic need. If you want to see a miracle, that's the miracle you need. But it's a tougher sell. Let's be honest. It is easy to be drawn into a spectacle, and it is challenging to put faith in that which you cannot see. So how does Jesus correct those who have gathered around him? How does he correct those that he's rebuking? How does he challenge those who are only seeking what they can see in these signs? Well, he performs a miracle that they can't see. Second, Belief in Jesus is not a blind leap of faith. Starting in verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, 
he went to him and asked him to come sit down and, and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, y'all will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Capernaum is a town near the Sea of Galilee. It's about 15 miles away from Cana. And there was a man in that city who was an official whose son was ill. Our text tells us that he was ill even to the point of death, seriously ill. And we don't know much about who this official is, whether he was a tax collector or a military leader, or if he was someone who worked for King Herod as a business manager. We don't know. But what we do know is that he is a man of some authority. We find later in this passage that he has servants, servants who are meeting him as he's coming back home. So he must have had some degree of authority, some degree of prestige and control. But this illness in his son was something that he was powerless to fix. Imagine this father's distress for a minute. It would have landed on him differently than it would for us. There was no medical system there was no doctor, there was no CVS, there was no penicillin. He was dependent heavily upon someone else coming to his rescue and to the rescue of his son. It's just a desperate hope that this father has that maybe this guy can heal my son. And so he makes the journey to Cana not knowing what condition he left his son in back at home. There's no way to communicate. He doesn't know what's going on there. He finds Jesus there in Cana, and he finds him and, and pleads with him, please, sir, come down before my child dies. He wanted Jesus to see his son. He wanted Jesus to come down and see his son. Now, apparently, this official had assumed that Jesus was only able to heal that which he could see with his eyes. Uh, as, as if Jesus' power and his authority was limited by his physical body, that Jesus could only heal and affect that which he could lay his physical eyes on. But Jesus is not limited to a particular geographical region. He had the ability to heal this man's son from anywhere. So Jesus says to him, go, and your son will live. But how would this father know that that was true? How did he know that if he took this 15-mile journey back home from whence he came, he would find his son alive and that his son would not be dead? He couldn't see it for himself. How would he know? Well, you'd have to take Jesus at his word. One of the main themes of John's gospel, and indeed of all of Scripture, is that we must trust God's Word. We must take Him at His Word. And that's what this official did. The man believed the Word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. The man does as he is commanded. This man in authority does as he has been told. I don't know what that trip home must have been like. 
as he's walking those 15 miles back home to Capernaum to check on his son. Do you think he had absolutely no doubts in his mind about the condition that he would find his son in? How strong was his belief, do you think? Was his journey home filled with anxiety about what he might find when he returned? Well, friends, it ultimately doesn't matter. He believed, and he went. In the end, his son wasn't being healed by the strength of his faith. His son was healed by the power of Jesus' word. Does this miracle then begin to hit home a little more closely for you now? Are these questions, the sort of questions that you have wrestled with, how can I know that the hope of the gospel is true? Believe the word that Jesus spoke and go on your way. I can't see how God could possibly bring good out of these overwhelming circumstances that I'm in right now. How do I know that he's able to do that? Believe the word that Jesus spoke and be on your way. I can't see the place that he said that he has gone to prepare for me. How do I know that it's true? Believe the word that Jesus said and be on your way. How do I trust that if I come to him, he will raise me up on that last day? Hmm. Believe the word that Jesus spoke and be on your way. John wrote this gospel, remember, so that we might know who Jesus is, that we might believe in him, that we might have eternal life. John wrote this letter to people who would never be able to see Jesus' miracles. You and I will never see Jesus turn water into wine. We're not able to see these signs. And so John knows that. Jesus did many signs. He intentionally selected some of those signs to include in his gospel. And I think the unique thing that we see in this gospel, in this particular sign, is that this healing, this miracle, this sign is done with some degree of separation from being able to see the fruition of this miracle. This man would need to take Jesus at his word. He would need to believe. He would need to, to trust in the power of God's word. Let's not get confused here. A couple of things to be aware of. First, when we are relying on and leaning into the promise of God's word, we want to make sure that we're taking it at its face value. Uh, we don't want to use scripture as if it was a magic spell. Uh, we don't want to bring it along with us as if it was a lucky rabbit's foot. When we're leaning on the promises that God gives to us, that he says in Scripture, we want to make sure that we're paying in close attention to the context uh, so that we might know that we're not holding God accountable for something that he did not promise. For example, if you're going to say, I can do all things who, through, through, through Christ who strengthens me, if you can say it better than me, that's great. If you want to hold on to that, that is amazing, but I hope that you don't mean by that, I can do whatever I set my mind to, and God is bound to help me. If you're going to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you need to mean something like, I have learned through suffering to be content with whatever the Lord brings my way. 
That's the first warning. Lean on Scripture as God intends for us to lean on Scripture. Do not try to hold God accountable to promises that he never spoke. Second, a second thing to be aware of here is this. Just because we can't see the confirmation of our hope in the gospel now, that does not mean that our exercising faith in it is irrational. I'm going to say it again. Just because we can't see the confirmation of our hope in the gospel here and now with our physical eyes does not mean that exercising faith in it is irrational. Belief in Jesus is not a blind leap of faith. Faith in God does not mean that you're supposed to let go of reason and logic and embrace some wild theory that you wish was true. The official, in this particular instance, had something to hold on to. This official had already seen, he had already heard at the very least, the signs that Jesus had performed. He had come to see him because he knew what he was capable of. He knew what he had done for others, and now he hoped he could do it for him. In other words, he had some data to work with. He knew Jesus' track record of faithfulness, of being trustworthy. He had strong reasons to believe that Jesus could and would be worthy of his trust. Friends, you and I, like this scared dad, are being encouraged to believe what we have not yet seen come to fruition. And here's the point of this miracle for you and I this morning. We can trust in Jesus as our Savior despite not having personally seen his signs. We can take the word at his word. God's power is not limited to the places that we can see his presence. This is why in John's prologue at the beginning of chapter 1, John connects Jesus as that eternal word with God's creation account in Genesis 1. So that you and I might see, that we might recognize that Jesus has the same authority as God the Father. Stephen covered it this morning in the equip class. When we read that creation account, we get that dependable rhythm day after day. God said, let there be light. And it was so. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. His speaking is his doing. God is spirit, like the wind, right? We can't see where it's coming from, where it's going. We can't see him, but we can see the effect of his word. And we can know that he is trustworthy. And that's one of the ways that our faith is built up. Third, our faith is strengthened by witnessing Jesus' effect on others. Starting in 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. The official's hometown of Capernaum was below sea level. It was down there by the Sea of Galilee. 
And so he was walking downhill back from Cana, back to his hometown. And as he's walking back down the hill, his servants meet him and they're confirming for him that what he was hoping would be true, that he had placed his faith in the word of Jesus, was indeed true. Just notice the development of this official's faith here. He began with an informed hope. He had heard about this Jesus guy. He knew about the signs that he was able to do. He encounters him, and then he believes in his word, so that hope became faith. And now, as he is arriving back home, his faith has become sight. His faith is confirmed. So he goes from hope to faith ventured to faith confirmed. Uh, That is the trajectory of every saint. In the end, we all want our faith to be made sight, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's actually the intention, the purpose of faith. The goal of our faith is that we might finally, at long last, behold God and see his glory. But God, in his mercy, gives us signposts along the way on that journey to remind us that we're on the right track. And one of these signposts is the gift of being able to witness Jesus' effect on others. So this dad's faith was built up because he had seen what Jesus had done for his son, and he didn't attribute the healing of his son to some blind fate or blind chance. He aligned the hour of the speaking with the hour of the healing, and he knew that he had to he had, he had placed his trust in the right man. This man was indeed trustworthy. He saw the effect that Jesus had on his son, and he himself believed. And you better believe that when he arrives back home and his family, his household, the servants, everyone, they're going to have questions. How did it go? What happened? Tell us about it. And that man is going to be telling him the testimony of what Jesus did. He just said he was going to be fine. That was it? That was it? He, just, he spoke. He said he was going to live. And then what would you do? So I left. I took him at his word. And when they hear the testimony of the power of the word, they too begin to believe. In testimonies, it's actually fairly common to hear people uh, who have begun to venture into faith in Jesus because what they have seen that he has done for others. It's like if Jesus can save this guy or girl uh, who I would never have anticipated would be a Christian, oh, maybe there's hope for me too. There's something to this. Maybe there's hope for me after all. At the west rim of the Grand Canyon, they've built out this giant cantilevered glass bridge called the Skywalk. Uh, The skywalk extends 70 feet out over the edge of the canyon, and it's got a glass floor in it. So you can look down, you can see the the views of the canyon some 4,000 feet below you. I know. (laughs) I'm sure it's well engineered. (laughs) There's probably every reason that I should be able to step out on that bridge trusting that it's going to hold me up. They say that it's actually engineered to be strong enough to hold 70 
fully loaded 747 passenger jets. Yeah, but I'm going to be honest. (laughs) I'm probably not going to be the first person to run out there and give it a go. I don't want to be that guy. I would want to know that there's a lot of other people who have stepped out there first and they haven't plunged 4,000 feet into the abyss. I'm the sort of person who would have a hard time taking that engineer at his word in a situation like that. If I'm resting my entire life on what this man has built, I would love to know that someone else has gone before me and they've been sustained. In the coming weeks, we're going to be releasing new episodes of this podcast that we've called Gospel on the Ground. You can find the link for it at the screen there. You can see it on our website under resources. It's also available on iTunes or Spotify. The whole thing is really just interviews with members of Trinity for members of Trinity. Testimonies of the ways that folks have stepped out in faith and have been upheld and sustained by God's word. We started this in the fall of 2022. There are 10 episodes so far, and two of our guests have gone on to see the Lord. Their faith has been confirmed. I hope that as you listen to this, your faith will be strengthened by witnessing Jesus' effect on others, others that we know and love, others here in this beloved congregation. This second sign that Jesus does here in Cana ends the first portion of Jesus' ministry. So far we've seen uh, he's met with teachers of Israel, religious leaders like Nicodemus. He's met with unexpected outcasts like that Samaritan woman at the well. And now we have heard about him drawing this official, this man in a high political leadership role, and his whole household to faith. Uh, The son, as he is coming into the earth, is drawing all kinds of people to himself. And so if you're feeling the tug towards the hope of the gospel, let me encourage you to venture out in faith. His word will sustain you. Here's our key takeaway. Trust Jesus as your Savior through faith in his word, not by sight. Trust Jesus as your Savior through faith in his word, not by sight. Like this official, one day your faith will be confirmed. It will be made sight. But for now, lean into the promise of eternal life by grace alone, through faith alone, so that our Lord and Savior may get all glory alone. Let's pray.